At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In this lesson on prenatal infections, what I want to do is separate it into two halves. The first half is going to engage those diseases that mom carries that she can pass on to baby that might cause problems. The second half is going to be the infections that cause congenital defects, the torch infections. Let's start off with these first three diseases, which are discussed elsewhere, but summarized here. The first one is group B strep. We encountered this a lot in LND pathology. The thing is, group B strep for mom is benign colonization. It's essentially normal flora of her vagina. So mom will never know she has it unless she gets tested. The thing is, for baby, it can be devastating. And the presence of group B strep can lead to things like premature rupture of membranes or preterm delivery or chorioamnionitis or endometritis. Or it can get into baby, causing a pneumonia and sepsis after baby's born. So group B strep is no big deal for mom, but a big deal for baby. Therefore, you're going to encounter group B strep in one of two ways. The first way is going to be in a woman who has prenatal care. She's in the U.S., she's going to her doctor's appointments. And in that patient who is receiving prenatal care, they will have already gotten an asymptomatic screen. You screen early on in first trimester labs with a urinalysis at week 10. I'm going to say this now and I'll say it again. If ever mom is group B strep positive in her pregnancy, even if you treat her and rescreen her at the time of delivery, you are still going to treat for group B strep. Therefore, if she was negative at week 10, you still may rescreen at week 35 or week 36. The idea being, if she was positive at week 10, you're just going to treat at delivery. If she was negative at week 10 during that first screen, you are going to rescreen at week 35. And if positive, you're going to treat. The other way the patient is going to present is with someone who has no prenatal care. And the way the test is usually going to do that is to give you someone who is an immigrant or someone who is traveling in a region where they cannot receive that prenatal care. In this case, there won't be a screen. And since group B strep doesn't matter to mom, she's going to be asymptomatic. What's going to happen is you're going to have a healthy, normal delivery with a healthy, normal baby. And then the next day, baby is going to be sick as shit. didn't look like anything was wrong, but oh, baby's now crashing. The diagnosis is going to be made, hopefully by an asymptomatic screen. So the first way you make the diagnosis is by getting urinalysis and urine culture, and if it's positive for group B strep, it's positive. The second way is going to be clinical, baby crashing on you. The third way is going to be if she's risk factor positive, and this is where the test is going to get you. The idea is because, we'll get back to this in a minute, because the treatment for group B strep is so benign, ampicillin, 
that it is worth having a very low threshold to give the ampicillin. If you can't use ampicillin because of a penicillin allergy, you can use cefazolin, second-generation cephalosporin. If you have a life-threatening penicillin allergy, there's enough cross-reactivity with cephalosporins that you don't want to do that, you can use backup clinda. And last resort, vancomycin. The point is, you really want to give antibiotics to people who you might think need it. And so remember, if they are ever screened positive at week 10, you're going to treat them then, and you're going to give them ampicillin at the time of delivery. If baby gets into trouble, has healthy delivery, and turns toxic, you're going to give the antibiotics to baby. But you'd like to not get it there, so you want to know what the risk factors are, which moms should get the antibiotics, even if she doesn't have a positive screen, and before baby comes out. That is going to be based on risk factors. The first is any positive group B strep. If mom had a baby that was previously group B strep positive, give her antibiotics, even if she screens negative. If she had a positive screen at week 10, you don't need to rescreen her, but you're going to give antibiotics anyway at delivery. If she's had a history of group B strep, you're going to give her antibiotics. The other way you're going to find this is with increased risk, such as prolonged rupture of membranes. And the other way is intrapartum fever. We talked about prolonged rupture of membranes and intrapartum fever in LND pathology. Part of treating a fever during pregnancy is to treat chorioamnionitis or endometritis with ampicillin. And we also are going to add to that genomycin and clindamycin for the intrapartum fever. But all of these are reasons to give antibiotics. And the answer is going to be ampicillin with a whole bunch of backups in this order based on allergies. Now, there is one type, and I hesitate to teach it because it's going to only be for the 270s and it might screw up everyone else. So if you're not going for a 270, turn off your ears. The only person who does not need to get prophylactic antibiotics at the time of delivery is someone who is going to have a C-section and who has not had a rupture of membranes. That is, no rupture has started, no labor has started, you just get in there and electively remove baby because the sac stays intact. That person who has a planned C-section still needs a screen at WRIC 35 and still needs to be treated, but the person who has a planned C-section without rupture of membranes or the onset of contractions does not need intrapartum antibiotics. Simple, but a lot of details in there. The second is Hep B, and we talk a lot about Hep B during the hepatitis lecture as an infectious disease. And we're going to pay primary attention to vertical transmission. That is, mom is in a chronic carrier state. And what do we do to prevent baby from contracting it during delivery and becoming a chronic carrier herself? Hep B is transmitted by blood. I want you to learn the only way a baby can get hep B is blood. And so the things we do are to avoid mom and baby's blood mixing.
the patient is going to be asymptomatic. And it's going to be an asymptomatic screen for hepatitis B, usually in the first trimester, week 10. If she is positive for hepatitis B, you have to prepare for what you're going to do at delivery. The diagnosis is actually the hardest part. So I'm going to save the diagnosis for the very end. The treatment, if she has circulating hepatitis B in her, you need to prevent baby from getting it. The way you do that is perform a C-section to avoid maternal fetal mixing of blood. And whether you deliver vaginally or through cesarean, you're going to give baby the hep B IVIG and the hep B vaccine. Kids get vaccinated for hep B, but if mom is a positive carrier, baby needs it at the first day of life. Kids get vaccinated for hep B. Ideally, you will vaccinate mom. You'd vaccinate mom before she gets pregnant. Hep B is given in three doses, now one month, one year. But if mom comes in, you want to know, is she immune and baby doesn't have to worry? Is she infected and baby does? What's her status? So most of the questions are going to come in the obstetric section, give IVIG and the vaccine at the time of delivery to a mom who is hep B positive. The diagnosis is where you're going to get a lot of other points. It's all hep B, right? That's what we're talking about here, hep B. And we're going to be talking about the difference between antibodies and antigens. The antigen wins. If you have circulating antigen, they are infected. If they have antibodies, you generally presume that means they are immune. You know, this is not true for those of you who just finished studying step one. Someone can be infected and not have any antibodies because they're still in the window. Someone might have antibodies, but they still have circulating antigen. If they have antigens, they are infected, the antigen wins. If you have a hep B surface antibody, you are immune either through vaccination or exposure. The hep C antibody means you are immune through exposure. Any antigen means you are infected. E means you are infectious. Interpreting hepatitis serologies can be pretty complicated. We talk about that in the hepatitis series in GI. The last one has a whole topic of its own in infectious disease is HIV. And what I want to primarily talk about is how you reduce risk of transmission to baby. Talk a lot about HIV in the ID section. Pathology is what you care about is the CD4 count. Is mom's risk for opportunistic infection? And as we'll learn in the torch infections, some of these come in the way of torch, leading to congenital defects. A fall in the CD4 count increases the risk of opportunistic infections. 
Baby cares about the viral load. An increase in the viral load causes an increase in the infectious risk. Again, I want you to learn just like Hep B, HIV cannot cross the placenta. Antibodies can, HIV cannot. You must have blood blood mixing. Ideally, you're going to catch mom as an asymptomatic screen. And I'm going to leave the discussion for what you do for someone who has AIDS, a CD4 count less than 200, to the ID section. But that person is going to be the person who has had prenatal care. The other way you're going to present is someone who has no prenatal care and their, their status is unknown. The way you make a diagnosis is by first getting an ELISA. It's rapid, it's looking for antibodies. The confirmatory test is a Western blot. But what you care about is the viral load and the CD4 count. If they've got circulating virus in their blood, they're infected. The more of it they have, the higher the infectious risk. The thing is that if you're going to test somebody for, with a confirmatory test, it takes longer than delivery in order to come back with the answer. So the woman who has had no prenatal care who shows up at your door with an unknown HIV status, you can't be sure in time of delivery whether you should treat or not. So therefore, you're going to treat. Let's talk first about what you're going to do for a mom who gets an asymptomatic screen early on in her pregnancy around week 10. How do you treat her? The goal is to get the viral load down. And the way you treat HIV is 2 plus 1. It is two nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors and one non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor or one protease inhibitor. And protease inhibitors get boosted with ritonavir. Lots of words in there. 2 plus 1 is heart, highly active antiretroviral therapy. More names coming at you, which are going to be hard to remember, but try to keep track. The combo you're going to want to use for the two NRTIs is tenofovir and emtricitabine. This one has been getting a lot of press. It's new. It's more expensive, but it's better studied. This is pregnancy class B. The older drugs, which won't get that much testing because they're cheaper, are going to be the zidovudine and the mivudine combo. These are still pregnancy class C because less research is being done, but they are cheaper. For the NNRTIs and the PIs, I want you to remember only one medication for each. For the NNRTI, it's nevirapine. And for the protease inhibitor, it is atazanavir, boosted with ritonavir. Are there other classes you can use? Yes. Can you use them in pregnancy? Yes. What I want you to remember is these are the ones you want to look for. Nevirapine being class C, atazanavir boosted with ritonavir being class B. The thing I want you to also learn is that there is a combo pill, tenofovir, emtricitabine, and efavirenz, and efavirenz is a teratogen, so you can't use that convenient combo pill in pregnant women. Look either for the tenofovir emtricitabine backbone or the zidovudine and lamivudine backbone, you're probably going to get the answer right. 
And there's also the risk of delivery. So what do you do? At delivery, there's three options. If the viral load is less than 1,000, that is, it is undetectable, and she is currently on highly active antiretroviral therapy, you can deliver vaginally. Effectively, she's controlled, no risk to baby. If her viral load is greater than 1,000, or she stops taking heart for whatever reason, as soon as you stop taking heart, your viral load begins to increase, she needs a C-section. And here is my board favorite question. It's still going to be on the test. It's still the right answer. If you don't know her status and she presents the time of delivery, you're going to give her AZT. That's been a board favorite for a long time. Okay, in this lesson, we're learning about three diseases that can impact baby because mom has them, not gets infected with them. Group B strep. Treat with ampicillin, low barrier to treat. If you're positive at week 10, you treat at week 10 and then treat again intrapartum. If you're positive at week 35, you treat and treat intrapartum. If you've ever been group B strep positive before, you treat intrapartum. Prolonged rupture of membranes, intrapartum fever, you treat intrapartum. The only time you don't treat intrapartum is if you've never been group B strep positive and you have normal delivery or you have a planned C-section and there's been no ruptures of membrane or the onset of labor, even if she's screen positive. For at B, remember that the antibodies mean immune, antigens mean infected, but antigens win because you can have antibodies and antigens, you're still infected. Vaccine gives you only S, exposure gives you C and S. Give Hep B I V I G and the Hep B vaccine to baby to a Hep B positive mom. HIV, screen early, get the viral load down. Two plus one. Design between vaginal delivery, C section, and AZT at the time of delivery based on the viral load, presence of heart, and whether you know or not she has HIV. This is the first half of prenatal infections.